Father, in the gift of these moments, we want to turn to you. We want to open our hearts, minds, souls, our very being to you. We want you, please, because you're gracious, loving, kind, strong, forgiving, righteous. We want you to come and be with us because without you, we are nothing. With you, we are everything, everything that you mean for us to be as we open ourselves to your power, to your inspiration, to your companionship as we walk along the journey of life. Thank you for these moments. Thank you for sisters and a brother or two who are part of this time with us. Thank you for all the beauty and joy that you bring into our lives today, even in the midst of some things that are not. Thank you especially for being with us in the person of your Son and the power of your Spirit because of your love. We pray in the Savior's name. Amen. Okay, folks, I forgot to thank him for the food. Oh, well, we can do that later. <laughs> we continue on today in the journey of the family of Abraham, the family of God, who God said, I'm going to make you a big and important family, important not because of who you are, but important because of what I am going to do through you by revealing myself to the world through your life and through your history. We're looking at a story. This is a big and complicated and intricate story. It's a story that we have to keep studying because there's so much in it. And because as we live our lives, we learn to relate to the story differently. <coughs> How many of you look at life differently now than you did, oh, let's say 80 years ago? There, that's good, that's good. <laughs> okay, so we're in the middle of the story of Jacob. Jacob has stolen a birthright, but in the process of taking the leadership of the family, he's had to leave the family. He has left as a penniless, homeless person with basically nothing, someone who in a sense has been exiled from his family because of what he has done. But now after a couple of decades with a different part of the family, a distant part of the family, uh, he has prospered. He's gotten several women in his life. He's He's gotten a whole bunch of children in his life. He's gotten a lot of sheep and goats and other kinds of animals and stuff. And he's accumulated a lot of stuff. As I look around the room, I can see some of you who I think maybe you have accumulated a lot of stuff in the world, right? <laughs> Certainly true in my household. Now, though, Jacob is on his way back. That idea of movement, of journey, is a very important idea in the story of the scripture. Things never stand still. Is that true of your life? Things are always changing. Maybe they stay static for a while, but that's only because things are the same over here, but they're changing over there. Things are always changing in this story. And so now Jacob is coming back. He's wealthy. He's powerful. He's coming back to his family to, maybe we could say it this way, to the scene of the crime. 
And he's coming back to deal with the people, to deal with the baggage, to deal with the stuff that was left behind. And that's where we're picking up the story. So we're going to read through a few verses at a time and kind of walk through this. And as always, try to get into Jacob's mindset, try to get into the understanding, the human things that were going on in this story, and then look at the divine things that are going on in this story. So we're in chapter 32 of Genesis. We'll look at the first couple of verses. Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called that place Mahanaim. Okay, Jacob is going along his way and angels appear. We've talked a lot about angels here, right? Did anybody see any angels this morning? Okay, last night? It's worth asking the question, right? Yesterday, anytime? Since Sunday? I don't know. You never know. You never know. Fantastic. There's an angel. There's an angel helping you with your car. Okay, good. Yeah. There we are. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. So we're not given any description of the encounter other than Jacob is on his way and angels meet him. Why do you think... God chose to appear in the form of his messengers, the angels, at this point in Jacob's life. Yes. Give him courage and strength. Absolutely. He's on his way. Any other good answers to that? I guess probably the best answer we can have, right? And so we need to note, we need to note that as Jacob goes on his way, every once in a while, God shows up in a particular way to reassure Jacob that God is with him. That happens with us if we'll pay attention to the angels. This is how in the life of the story we see this happens, okay? So Jacob meets some angels. Now, the story continues. Let's keep going. Verse 3. Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have lived with Laban as an alien and stayed until now, and I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male and female slaves, and I have sent to tell my lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. The messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and four hundred men are with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and the herds and camels into two companies, thinking, If Esau comes to the one company and destroys it, then the company that is left will escape. Okay, let's stop right here. This is a pretty simple description of what's going on in Jacob's mind. Jacob has a plan for how he is going to introduce himself back into the family. He's going to send people ahead of him, right? That word messenger is an important word. Jacob sends messengers. Jacob has just heard from some messengers. That's literally what angels are, messengers from God. God has come through a messenger to Jacob. Now Jacob is sending a messenger on ahead. 
There's lots of conversation going on in this, the development of this whole story, and it's like it involves lots of people because it's a very delicate conversation, isn't it, that's going to come ahead. It's a very delicate conversation that lies before Jacob with Esau. Okay, so Jacob has all of his wealth, all of his stuff, and what is the message? What, look at the words here. What is the message that Jacob is trying to convey to Esau? Forgive me. I hope to find favor in your sight. Dear brother, whom I swindled out of the family inheritance. Dear brother, who when I left, you were saying you wanted to kill me. Dear brother, whose life I ruined completely. Here I am. <laughs> right? Right? Now, there's a little more to the message. What else is in this message? I'm rich. Why does Jacob need Esau to know he's rich? He's powerful? Absolutely. God has blessed him? Yes. Yes. What else? He doesn't want anything from him. Ah, there we go. Jacob is not coming back empty-handed, expecting his brother to hand over everything. He's already got what he needs. There are lots of messages going. All of those things are true. I think all of those things were, were in Jacob's mind. So Jacob has a plan. Jacob is sending messengers ahead. God has said, I'm with you. I have a job for you to do to go back. And now Jacob is making that happen. Do you think that God gave specific directions to Jacob to do it this way? Probably not, right? We've already seen that, that Jacob is an expert manipulator, <laughs> right? And so we see that Jacob is using what God has given him to use in order to make this happen. Now, when God came to Noah, remember God came to Noah and said, you're going to build a boat, and here's the plan for the boat. God was pretty explicit in that way. We don't have that sense here. Jacob is devising the plan for how this is going to happen successfully. That also is instructive to us. You could take Jacob in some ways as a good example for life, right? There are some lessons we can learn from Jacob. So Jacob wants to find Esau's favor. That's where the, the crux of this whole story goes. Let's keep on going. Verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, and I will do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, please, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I'm afraid of him. He may come and kill us all, the mothers with the children. Yet you have said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted because of their number. We'll stop there. Jacob creates a plan. Jacob sends out messengers. What's the next thing Jacob does? He prays. He prays, right? He's got his plan, but how many times do we realize our plans may not be airtight? <laughs> They may not come to pass the way we want them to come to pass. And so Jacob prays. Let's look at this prayer. This is a great prayer. 
in the sense that it, it incorporates all of the major elements of things in prayer that we have learned over the centuries through people like Jacob, people like David, people like Jesus, for instance. We learned a lot from Jesus. Let's look at the prayer. O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, do this. Jacob begins his prayer by talking about who he's praying to, right? We pray to all sorts of things, you know. Um, lots of times people say, thank my lucky stars. Have you ever said that before? Thank my lucky stars. Do you think the stars are worth praying to? If you thank them, that's a prayer to the stars. Thank you, stars. Horse hockey. Sorry if any of you read your horoscope this morning to determine what was going to go on in your life. You and I need to talk. <laughs> right? Jacob is praying to someone specific in the context of, of paganism and, and polytheism of his day. It's like saying, okay, I'm calling on God, this particular God. All you other gods I'm not talking to. <laughs> there maybe is a piece of that going on. You and I, having come from such a monotheistic viewpoint, don't even think about it when we say I talk to God. Well, of course, you talk to the only God there is. But here's a specific God, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, the God who's always been part of my life. This is where we see an emphasis on the importance of tradition and history. Talking just a few minutes ago with someone talking about the, the growth and change that's going on in the life of the church and how lots of things need to change in the way that we do things, and yet some things do not change in the way church does things. We still are in a relationship with the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, and add a million names to that, right? So Jacob begins by addressing the one God whom he knows, and that does a couple of things, right? That says that Jacob knows who he is talking to. Do you know the God that you talk to? Jacob knows who he is talking to, and he wants to be sure that this God knows him, right? Hi, I'm part of the family. <laughs> I'm part of the family. What does he say then? You're the God who said to me, go back to your country and your people your kinfolk, and I'm going to do good to you. In that sense, Jacob is reminding God, and also I think reminding himself, of the status of his life, the deep, the deep theme, the trajectory, the flow of his life in relationship to this God. God, I'm here in this place right now because of what you said. Right? Because of what you said. How many of you have prayed when you've started on some big project, some great enterprise, or even maybe a little project, a little enterprise, and along the way you say, okay, God, I've taken one step. Are you still there? <laughs> Are you going to be there ahead of me? You see, this is a conversation with God. That's all prayer is in many ways. Just a simple conversation with God, checking in with God. Okay, you're the God who said all of this. So, all prayer begins with a focus on the one to whom we are praying, not on us. Not on us. Remember that when you pray. 
He continues, I am not worthy. I am not worthy. What does that mean? What is Jacob getting at? I am not worthy. Why would he say that? Because he's not worthy. (laughs) Not every question has a difficult answer. (laughs) Exactly. He's not worthy. Oh, God, you are the God who's been with my family. You've done all these amazing things. And here's who I am. In a sense, maybe here's who I am not as well. I'm not worthy of what? Your steadfast love and faithfulness. Your steadfast love and faithfulness. And your blessing and your generosity. I have, I have left with my staff, but I've come back now across the Jordan. And I'm two companies. I've got so much that I've got to divide it in two. Right? This is still about God. This is still about God, and it's about Jacob in relationship to God. I'm nothing. You are everything. Is there anyone in this room? Surely not. Surely not. Let me just say there is no one in this room who has ever complained to me about the fact that in our worship on Sunday mornings, one of the very first things we do is have a prayer of confession where we tell God how terrible we are. I have had people complain to me about that because people don't like to express to God who they are or they don't think they're that bad. Boy, I wish I had. Well, now I wish I had a dollar, not just a nickel, but a dollar for every time someone has said to me, you know, I I couldn't pray the prayer of confession today. That's not me. Really? (laughs) Right? We pray the prayer of confession when we come to worship God after We talk about God. We start with a call to worship. Let's all come together to worship. We sing a hymn of praise about God. God, you're amazing. You're wonderful. And by the way, God, as we look at you and we look at ourselves in contrast, here's who we are and who we are not. We need to simply come clean with all of that. That's what a prayer of confession is. And that's what Jacob is doing here. God, I'd like to have a chat with you, but really, you don't. You don't owe me anything. In fact, you've given me everything. But I'd still like to have a chat with you. So this is Jacob's prayer of confession using a phrase that is a good phrase for us to remember. I've relied on this phrase a lot lately. Steadfast love and faithfulness. Steadfast love. How many of you have been loved by someone sometimes and not other times? You know someone like that? Absolutely. How about yourself? Are you that way? I'm that way. It's really easy to love people when they're being lovely. But so far, I haven't met anyone. I should say except for Helen here, because she might watch this tape later, right? (laughs) So far, I haven't met anyone who's always lovely, lovable, right? But God's love is steadfast. God is faithful consistent in his love. This is who you are, God. We rely on that, okay? So then, verse 11, deliver me, please, from the hand of my brother. Now we finally get to the point of what most of our prayer is about, right? Asking God for something, asking God for something. And, and it's okay to ask God for things. Jesus taught us. We're taught in the New Testament. We're taught all over through the scriptures. God wants us to ask him for what we need. 
because it does a couple of things. One, it says we know who supplies our need. We know the source of what we have, right? And it puts us in that relationship again of dependence on God. So it's okay to ask God for what you need. But it's really important, first of all, to talk about who God is and to get that relationship straight between you and God. Deliver me. From what did Jacob need deliverance? The threat of being wiped out by his brother. From what do you need deliverance? Give me some answers. You all are living perfect lives today. Uh, you know, that means we can quit early. You don't need to study the rest of it. <laughs> some of you need deliverance from your anger at someone who did something stupid and mean to you. Some of you need deliverance from your fear about a relationship that's going bad. Some of you need deliverance from your concern about your physical health or your mental health. Some of you need deliverance from your worry and trepidation about the direction of our country. And on and on and on and on and on. Some of you need deliverance. I shouldn't pick on this probably, but some of you need deliverance from, this is one of my favorite things, the heartbreak of psoriasis, right? <laughs> The heartbreak of psoriasis. So I, I, psoriasis is a real thing. I understand that. But that's just kind of my shorthand for some of the, it's not trivial if you really have it necessarily, but some of the trivial things, right? You know, some, some of us need deliverance from the fact that the ice maker went on the blink this morning, right? So we need deliverance from, the, <laughs> Jacob's praying about a really big thing. Others of us today in the world need deliverance from the fact that we've been living in a tent for two months because of an earthquake and there's no relief in sight. You know, we can go to all those things. Jacob needs deliverance, right? He's afraid. God has just come to him in, in the form of angels and said, I'm with you, but Jacob is afraid. It's okay to be afraid and fearless at the same time. Does that make sense to you? The afraid side is the human side of it. The fearless side all of it is also the human side of it. It's the human side of it with God involved, okay? I'm afraid that he might come and kill us. Yet you have said, God, I will surely do you good. This is what you have said, God. The prayer comes back to a focus on God and God's promise. It's a beautiful prayer. You could model all of your prayers after that. Let's go on. Starting verse 13. So Jacob spent that night there, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milch camels and their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he delivered into the hand of his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the foremost, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong, where are you going, and whose are these ahead of you, then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my lord Esau, and more, moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves, you shall say the same thing to Esau when you meet him, and you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterwards I shall see his face. 
perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself spent that night in the camp. Okay, this is more the plan. It's a brilliant plan, isn't it? It's a brilliant plan. What is Jacob preparing to try to make happen between him and Esau? There's several ways we could characterize it. Say it again. Reconciliation, exactly. Reconciliation based on a gift. Based on a gift. Maybe it's a bribe. <laughs> What's the difference between a gift and a bribe, right? So Jacob's plan continues to be unveiled. It's, a, it's really a great plan. I mean, it works. We know that, right? It's a great plan. I'm going to give you a little bit. Then I'm going to give you a little bit more. Then I'm going to give you a little bit more. But wait, there's more, <laughs> right? Just like the infomercials. At the end of the, this plan, after we're told about the plan and what happens, Jacob says something interesting. He says, afterwards, I shall see his face. Why does Jacob say that? Any ideas? It's important that you are face to face with your enemy, right? What do we say when we cannot deal with something? I can't face it. I can't face it, right? You go and meet face to face. Why is face to face important? Nonverbal communication, exactly. And the presentation of yourself before that person. How many of you, when you have something to say that's really hard, prefer to do it with a text or an email or an intermediary or, in the old days, a letter from your lawyer? Right? That's the way we communicate with each other when it's really, really tough stuff that we don't want to quite engage. The simple fact that you will go and sit down face to face is critical. About a week ago, I don't know, a few days ago, I've lost time. Helen and I started watching, uh, binge watching sort of, um, the TV show Madam Secretary. Do you remember that show about female Secretary of State? And um, it, it's, it's fantastic because we can watch an hour-long show in 40 minutes uh, without the commercials. But it's a fascinating show about the business of diplomacy. Right? And there's such intricate, intricate uh, man maneuvers, the dance that goes on. You know, well, let's see. Russia needs to talk to the United States or vice versa. So first we're going to send the low-level people, and then we're going to send out a message, and eventually you get to face-to-face. -to -face. That's what this is about, okay? Where else do we see the face as an important thing in the Scriptures? Can you think of other times when that word appears? This, by the way, is one of the ways that you do serious Bible study. You grab a, a concordance, a book that lists all the occurrence of every word in the scriptures, and you look up where they occur. If you looked up the word face in a concordance and said, okay, where else is face involved? What, can you think of some other passages or other situations where the face is important? When Moses was on the mountain, he was not allowed to see the face of God. Great answer. Three gold stars today. 
because no one else was even close to it. You broke the curve, <laughs> right? Moses wants to see God, right? If you can get an audience with God, that's huge. God does not allow Moses to see his face because, and this is a long conversation, Moses, like any other human being, would not be able to tolerate the beauty, the power, the reality of the presence of God and all of God's glory, okay? Where else do we see face? Where else do we see face? Oh, yes, yes, in Micah, in Micah, where, where God, God says, I'm going to show my face to the people. I'm going to turn my face upon them. There we go. He's refining gold. He knows that it's finished when he sees God's face. Beautiful. The gold has to be refined first, right? The impurity taken out, the impurity taken out in, of us, so to speak, before we can see the face of God. I think, too, of the, of the rabbinic benediction. I use that all the time, right? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you, okay? So this idea of two brothers coming face to face has huge implication for our understanding, not just of their relationship, but of our relationship with God. And in a sense, they're the same thing, aren't they? Aren't they? We'll talk more about that. So let's see, where are we? Blah, 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 blah. Let me turn my page. Thank you. Verse 22. The same night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the thigh muscle that is on the hip socket because he struck Jacob on the hip socket at the thigh muscle. Okay, the wrestling with the man at the Jabbok. This story is one of the most often researched, written about, studied, quoted stories of all the stories in the long and big story of the patriarchs. So let's talk about it. I need some answers from you because there's a lot here that's not completely clear. Who is Jacob wrestling with? He said God. Okay. At first, it's a man. Is God a man? He can appear as one. Right? Right? Later we come to understand, in the story as it develops, we understand Jacob is wrestling with God. Is he only wrestling with God? 
Is there a possibility he's wrestling with more than one, not necessarily entity, but, but more than one reality, right? Himself, himself. Who is Jacob? Yes. Also could be Esau. Exactly, exactly. There's a whole lot going on here, right? Jacob, you could almost say Jacob is having a nightmare, <laughs> right? There's so much. How many of you, when you have something big coming up, you dream about it, right? Right? That happens to me every Saturday night, dreaming that I've lost my sermon notes for Sunday morning, or I can't find my clothes, or you don't, you don't want to hear all the things I dream about before Sunday morning, right? So it could be Esau. You know, when you first hear about it, a man came and wrestled with him. Well, Jacob and Esau are in a, in a wrestling match right now. Okay? That's the way it is. Okay, or it could be Jacob himself. Have you seen, by the way, that there's a, a TV commercial uh, that, that talks about uh, post-traumatic stress, uh, particularly in veterans, and this, this younger man is, is kind of walking along the street, and all of a sudden he's, he's faced with himself, and they get into this big wrestling match. Have you seen that commercial? It's a beautiful, it's really, really well done. The inner struggle that goes on, okay? And then, of course, we come to believe that this actually is a struggle with God himself. Why? Why did God decide to come and have a wrestling match with Jacob that night? Yeah, God is saying, I'm here. I'm, 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 I'm wrestling with you. I'm struggling with you because you're struggling with me so that we can get through this and so that you can have what you need, right? Yeah. How many of you, when, you, when you're working through something, feel like it is a wrestling match with God, Right? God, I really want to do this, but you've told me I should do that, and this is the way I want to respond, but the, my gut wants me to, uh, is leading me this way. In a sense, in a sense, we might say our entire journey with God is a wrestling match. How many of you have resisted God before? Anybody here been swallowed by a big fish in the process? <laughs> right? We've all resisted God. We all, we all wrestle with God. Now, the wrestling match itself, the wrestling match itself is really kind of cool, okay? So they're wrestling all night long, and Jacob's hip is hurt in that process. But after they've been wrestling, right, then God says, let me go. The day is breaking. Do you think that Jacob had a, a hammerlock on God? Is that possible? No. Anything is possible with God, right? We'd almost have to say that God let Jacob have the upper hand at that point, perhaps, right? But, but look at what happens in the transaction. Let me go. The day is breaking. Jacob says, I won't let you go unless you bless me. That's kind of the story of Jacob's life, isn't it? Isn't it? Right? He's in a wrestling match with Esau as he's popping out of his mom, hanging onto her heel, Right? Right? Trying to pull him back in. I get to go first. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. <laughs> All of Jacob's life is a wrestling match with God. And Jacob is wrestling. Why? Because he wants to be blessed. Isn't that why we wrestle with God? We want to be blessed. We want to know God. We want to see God. We want what we think God can give us. What God alone can give us. Okay? So... Jacob says, bless me. And so the man says, what is your name? Jacob says, give me this. And, and God asks a question. What is your name? I'm Jacob. 
And then the man says, you are no longer Jacob, you are Israel. Okay? Who has the authority to give you a name? The father. In most of my experience, it's the mother. <laughs> when Rebecca was born, Helen was exhausted, and the nurse comes into the, the hospital room before we're ready to get our baby and go home, says, we need the child's name. you got to write it on this thing. Helen says, I haven't decided on a name yet. Helen and I have been going back and forth on some different options. And the nurse said, no, you've got to have a name for this kid. Helen said, okay, name her Baby Baca. And the nurse said, that's not good enough. So I said, her name is Rebecca Ruth Baca. Yes, and I was allowed to live. <laughs> and that's her name now. It's Rebecca Ruth Baca, right? Do you have the power to rename somebody? You are no longer going to be Patricia. Your name is going to be Bambi. Right? You are no longer going to be Julie. You're going to be... What would you pick for your own name? Do you know anybody who's has renamed themselves? Yeah. Yeah. Why? Why is a name so important, right? Would you rather be Patricia or Bambi? Patricia, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to any Bambis here, okay? Of course not, of course not, right? Why is a name important? It's identity. It's identity, right? When that baby that I named, Rebecca Ruth, was having her own baby, uh, they, uh, when, when our granddaughter Olivia was born, um, Beck and DJ would not tell us the names they had picked for the kids beforehand. And after Olivia popped out and they said, this is Olivia, we said, what, what were you guys thinking about? They said, well, it's either going to be Olivia or Emily. But we needed to see her before we knew who she was. And she popped out and they said, oh, this isn't Olivia. I still don't know by what criteria they decided she wasn't Olivia, but there we are. And boy, is she Olivia. That's all there is to it, right? All of this to say the name is important. The name is important, right? Here we go to Johnny Cash theology. You know what I'm going to talk about? Boy named Sue. Yes, exactly. Exactly. The name that's given. So Jacob asks for a blessing. And what is the blessing that God gives? A new name. A new name, right? the name of Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed, and have prevailed. Now, that name Israel, why is that important? That's the name of the nation. This is not just any name. The nation, the nation of Israel. So Jacob has a new name. As you study the history then of what follows, sometimes the name Israel refers to Jacob, the single, solitary, individual person of Jacob, but it also refers to the nation, the whole people, right? The name of Israel, and it's a name that means you have striven with God and you have prevailed. You have contended with humans and you have prevailed. The nation of Israel was never very big, 
in comparison to the other nations around it. It was never very rich because it was never very big in comparison to the nations around it. It was never very powerful in comparison to the nations around it. When you read the stories, you get the sense that, you know, uh, the armies of Israel go out to do battle with the Egyptians or the Assyrians or whatever. Listen, if the Egyptians or the Assyrians or the Babylonians or the Persians or any of those other empires got serious about fighting with Israel, they just wiped them out. Israel was always a tiny little nation stuck in the middle between a bunch of big nations. Israel's very existence depended on struggling, on striving, on depending on God. And here we have that character of Israel that is, in a sense, completely embodied and encapsulated and expressed by the character and the life story of this one person, Jacob. This one person, Jacob. We do that oftentimes in, in literature and in history. We pick out one person whose life embodies the life of the whole thing. Right? That's especially true in the Old Testament. So, Jacob gets a new name, Israel. Right? And then Jacob asks, tell me your name. You've given me a new, I've told you my name. You've given me a new name. Tell me your name. And God says, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. God doesn't answer the question. God doesn't have to answer the question. Right? Knowing the name of God. The name of God. So, Jacob's life is preserved and he continually has a limp. He leaves here permanently marked. What is that about? What is that about? The limp. A reminder. Who said reminder? Good job. A reminder to Jacob slash Israel of the nature of his relationship with God, of the fact that he fought with God. What, what, what would happen if you said to God, God, let's, let's, let's fight. Let's fight to the death. Who's going to win? God's going to win. Right? Jacob fights with God and Jacob comes away alive, <laughs> but permanently marked. Permanently marked. Like Paul. Good example. Good example. Right? Paul is attacking God's people and he's on his way to Damascus and Jesus comes up and says, there's a different plan for your life. And Paul is forever changed. Right? Here's something to say to people when they say, you know, I've never really thought very much about religion or God or anything else. Would you help me pray uh, and talk with God and get God involved with my life? What should your response be? Of course. What would be another honest response? You're kidding? Yeah. <laughs> really? After all these years? How about... Do you really know what you're asking for when you ask for a relationship with God? It's a really good question, isn't it? So Jacob is permanently marked. Israel, the people of God, are permanently marked with something that reminds them of their relationship with God. Okay, let's keep on going. Chapter 33. 
Now Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. He put the maids with their children in front, then Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph last of all. Rachel and Joseph, remember, are the two most important members of Jacob's family. He himself went on ahead of them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. When Esau looked up and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the maids drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And finally, Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, to find favor with my Lord. But Esau said, I've have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, No, please, if I find favor with you, then accept my present from my hand, for truly to see your face is like seeing the face of God. There's that face thing again. Since you have received me with such favor, please accept my gift that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have everything I want. So he urged him and he took it. Then Esau said, Let us journey on our way, and I will go alongside you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are frail, and that the flocks and herds which are nursing are a care to me, and if they are overdriven for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant, and I will lead on slowly according to the pace of the cattle that are before me, and according to the pace of the children, until I come to my Lord in Seir. So Esau said, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, why should my Lord be so kind to me? So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths for his cattle. Therefore, the place is called Succoth. Okay, Jacob continues to prostrate himself before his brother to take the lesser role in this attitude of contrition of confession, of repentance. His brother forgives. His brother accepts the gift. And then his brother says, come along with me. It's an invitation to live as family again. Isn't that beautiful? So God has fulfilled his promise, right? Through Jacob's confession and repentance and Jacob's offering to make everything right with his brother, right? I stole the birthright, but I left and didn't get any of it. Now I've brought more back than I need. You already have what you need, but I'm going to give you more. The business of the inheritance is dealt with, isn't it, in some sense? In some sense? Not the position in the family, necessarily, but the business of the inheritance. Esau says, come along with me. Jacob says, I'll come along. I'll, I'll catch up with you. I'll catch up with you. And then he goes someplace else. Did you notice that fact? There's always something going on with Jacob that's not quite exactly what he says he's going to do or what you would expect. Was Jacob wise in that? Maybe Jacob was wise. Maybe he knew that it could never be completely perfect between him and his brother. Maybe it better that, that the two live separately from each other. Who knows? Who knows? But we have a... Yes, question. Right, right. Esau's, Esau's family what was... was they were part of the larger, larger Jewish family, but they were not the mainline story. The mainline story comes Jacob and then the 12 sons of Jacob, right? Esau, Esau kind of goes off into 
oblivion, if you will, unimportance, if you will, in the life of the story. If they had joined, it might have corrupted that all. Yeah, confused it all, for sure, for sure. So maybe there's some wisdom with, with Jacob there, right? Even though Jacob lies to Esau again. Hi, I'm going with you. Oh, I didn't show up, <laughs> right? In all of that, the story continues. So here again, just like every good story, we have a crisis, and the crisis is resolved. The crisis of whether or not Esau is going to kill Jacob. Esau does not. And Jacob is allowed to go on his way as his family is allowed to continue on. Lots of good lessons in this. Lots of good stories. The important part for you now is to take this into yourself and say, what does this teach me about my relationship with God? And about where my life is going and our life together and the other people that are with me in this life. You're stuck with each other. Okay, at least for the next little while, if you stay around in your small group, where does this teach you as a group? Anything else we need to say? I'm going to pray. God, thanks for being with us. Please continue to do so. For Jesus' sake, amen. God bless you.